This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Is Kali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. The city has been celebrating Pride all month long, but the big party starts this weekend with more than half a million people expected downtown. There's a Pride Fest 5K race on Saturday, vendors and live performances all weekend long in Civic Center Park, and then, of course, the parade on Sunday morning. And let me tell you from experience, you won't be able to walk through Capitol Hill this weekend without getting swept up in the excitement. But even when it's not Pride, Cap Hill has always felt that way. Growing up in Denver in the 80s and 90s, the neighborhood was synonymous with the gay community to me, which is partially what drew me to renting my first apartment just blocks from Cheeseman Park. I was stoked to learn that my Twitter friend, B. Aaron Cole, a comics artist and historian, had created a tour of Cap Hill's queer history for History Colorado's new Rainbows and Revolutions exhibit. On a recent Friday morning, me and my producer Paul Caroli met up with Aaron and took a walk through queer Capitol Hill, past and present. Today is Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. So this is this is the first stop, is right oh, here. Oh, at the, at the History Colorado Museum. Yeah. Okay. What is, tell me about it. So, hello. So, again... <laughs> Uh, this is going to be edited down, isn't it? Oh, of course. Okay, we're going to do tons of editing. So, so, yeah. So, we're right now, we're at 1200 Broadway at the History Colorado Center. And this is the first stop in the exhibit tour. And the reason I wanted to do this is, first off, when people come in the door, I want them to know, first off, they are in a historically queer neighborhood, um, a place that has a lot of queer history. But I also want to talk about the fact that Broadway, for a long time, and actually still today, has had a lot of gay bars, a lot of kind of community meeting spaces and other things. And in the 1970s, in the middle of this block, actually right where the parking garage is. (laughs) (laughs) That dastardly judicial building parking garage. Was a a bar called the Broadway Lounge. Okay. Um, And in the 70s, it was a really kind of important place. It was kind of a cabaret. It was a bar. It was a meeting space. And but the thing that makes it really important is the fact that Denver police targeted patrons of that bar and many other bars up and down Broadway to basically harass them. So if you were a patron coming in and out of the Broadway, you know, and if you were there on an unlucky night, you could get a jaywalking ticket trying to cross Broadway or cross 12th. And jaywalking is one of those infamous It is. It's things. one of the, it's just like it's a low level harassment saying we are keeping tabs in your community. We just want to let you know that we don't want you to feel welcome and safe in Denver. Yeah. So, and there was a 
Police officer in particular called Buster Snyder. I just learned about him. He was also known for harassing Chicano I know, youth. he was. <laughs> like, I what know, I, I Googled him and I'm just like, oh my God, he's all, he's at all of these kind of like Chicano movement protests and yeah. stuff like that. But he was, he in particular was very, was notorious for harassing patrons going in and out of in and out of the gay bars on Broadway. And hmm. there's one case, and I actually talk about this a little bit in the exhibit, is um, he issued this uh, jaywalking ticket to a woman named Mary Lalo, who asked him just like, are you giving me this because you hate gay people? And he arrested her. And there is a court, there's some court cases, and I'm actually still kind of figuring out the because there wasn't a lot of coverage of it. No, that was the thing, honestly, too. When I Googled him, I can't remember why he came up. Some other conversation we were having. I, I found, like, one Getty image, mm-hmm. but there really wasn't as much as I would have assumed because a lot of what I was hearing was um, from Facebook groups yeah. from people saying, oh, I remember Buster. I remember yeah. Buster harassing me. Yeah, so he shows up a little bit in, like, Out Front and Big Mama Rag and some other kind of, like, queer and feminist newspapers but for this case in particular there is this is the part I'm still kind of like figuring out is that there is like the judge in the case because it went it goes to court the judge in the case issues an injunction beforehand that says that homosexuality cannot be mentioned during the court proceedings so so nobody can ask if officer Snyder is prejudiced against gays no one can ask you know like the defendant can't say I was targeted because of who like this officer thought I was doing what I was doing and who I was and of course someone in court mentions it and goes to mistrial and I haven't been able to figure out what happens after that (laughs) wow Um, I also think this is an interesting conversation right now as we continue to talk about whether police are welcome at pride events it is I mean like you know for a a lot of history you know like the exhibit actually basically covers the 50s to the 70s and through a lot of that police are not the friends of queer people in denver they're kind of this presence you know either in the background or actively harassing people going in and out of bars and other areas just Just to to let you know cover you within the legal system and keep you in the legal system keep this on your record make sure that no we're we're, yeah we're watching so um like all of this stuff is interconnected so so the next stop on the tour is 1450 Pennsylvania. Okay. But there's we can there's stuff that we can talk about between now between then and now. Okay. So All right. There's there's so little written about Denver urban planning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean a lot Sometimes of this I think came that's by design. I mean <laughs> this all of this came from just doing actual like archival research, piecing together. Yeah. And like just sitting in my ass at like Western history and genealogy. <laughs> Thank God for, <laughs> for that, like though, basically right? a year going through all of this stuff and putting together. Yeah, because otherwise you have like Phil Goodstein's books. And um, <laughs> I mean, do you how much time do you have? Is really the question when you have a Phil Goodstein book. I don't know if now's a good time to talk about it, but. That that idea or this 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 neighborhood being the center of queer life in Denver is that true anymore? 
That's a really good question, and I don't know if I have, like, a good answer, because I don't think anyone has a good answer. Yeah. Because it kind of means, like, what do you mean by center? Sure. Because it still is. I mean, it's obviously a queer, still a queer-coded neighborhood for a lot of people. There's still a lot of queer people living in Capitol Hill. But the question is, are they moving here because they're just like, oh, this is where the action is. This is where... You know, X bar is, is, is a city close, you know, or blush and blue, or is it yeah. because like, oh, this is where I can I can find something comparatively cheap. Sure, sure, relatively, <laughs> if, however we want to frame it. Yeah, you can still walk to things. There's still like this kind of sense of being in kind of an island. Yeah, in the middle of Denver, but it's there's definitely a lot the more most br- walkable neighborhood I've ever lived in. There's a lot more here. bros than there used to be. Uh, that yeah. <laughs> Like, I lived in Capitol Hill from, like, 2009 to 2015. Ooh. And it was very noticeable. I was going to say that was prime That was prime time for that shift. Yeah. And, like, it's just kind of, like, you know, you go to Cheeseman on a Saturday, and in some ways it's great because there's all of these people, and they're happy, and they're hanging out, and they're having a good time. But you're like, there's a lot of bros here. <laughs> bros bros totally. with labs. Totally. Totally. All right, so we are at 1450 Pennsylvania. This is now someone's house. And we're looking at like, is this red flagstone? I don't yeah, know if like, any of us know it's red a, It's flagstone a flagstone row. sandstone building, row okay. house. And in 1974, this building, and I don't know which floor it was, um, was the first office for the Gay Coalition of Denver. The thing that we mostly know the Gay Coalition of Denver for is this thing called the Denver's Gay Revolt, which was a city council meeting in late 1973 where there were basically more than 300 queer Denverites pack city council chambers and basically kind of like pressure city council into repealing basically gay and friendly laws, looking more seriously into police harassment. And in the Rainbows and Revolutions exhibit, there's actually one of the, the visuals that the Gay Coalition Denver puts together to show you know, look, this is actually what it's like being queer in Denver. And because of that, somebody was really, there was like a donor who was really um, excited about what they're doing and gave them money that turned into them renting this creating office. Creating this, this coalition. Yeah, not crazy, crazy, but we gave them money to actually get an office. Oh, to get the office. Okay. <laughs> and they had like, they had a, like a library there and a resource center. And just thinking about like, actually, this is, here's an office with a, door and an address and if you're like queer in denver you can actually go to this office and actually talk to somebody it's not like oh i have to know like these secret back door or i have to go to a bar and hopefully talk to the right people it's like here is an address it's 1450 pennsylvania here's where i can go so and then at some point this gets turned back into private into like a private residence but i don't know when Yes, the story of Capitol Hill. (laughs) This used to be a lawyer's office in the 70s. All right, let's let's keep going. So we're going. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the front range. 
Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. Yeah, what did zoning or what does zoning maybe still have to do with how we get communities in certain areas of our city? Well, so this is a really tough correlation causation problem. Sure. But I think the easiest way to do it is that this is kind of a landscape that... I just want to stop for a minute. Yes. Look at this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So this is, a, this is a landscape that in the 1950s, Denver urban planners disliked very much. They wanted, they wanted to basically retrofit the fit city to make it more attractive to white families with children. The people that they thought they were losing to Lakewood and to Inglewood and all of those places. So they actually tried to use the 1956 zoning code to basically suburbanize Denver. You know, again, like what you actually see here is built before that. Yeah. But the city is trying to use its zoning to keep this from happening in other neighborhoods, to keep neighborhoods basically populated by by nuclear families, by especially white nuclear families. And you start to see in the 1970s, you know, especially thinking about the neighborhoods that are owned, zoned R0, which is the most restrictive form of residential zoning in Denver. That is the residential zoning where you cannot live together unless you're, under- unless you're everyone is related by blood or marriage or adoption. It's like Congress Park, which the south part of Congress Park is zoned R0, um, Park Hill, and some others, you start to see like people who like, we don't, I don't actually know what their relationship was, but two women trying to live together in a house in, in Congress Park and the neighbors reporting them to the city saying, this is a neighborhood that is about family values. Um, you start to see like, there's like two men who bought a house together in Park Hill and the neighborhood is like, oh, you're not legally related. You can't live in Park Hill. And you start to see see that you know, the neighborhoods that have that kind of very strict zoning restriction start using it against same-gender couples moving into their neighborhoods. And Capitol Hill doesn't have any of that zoning, obviously. Um, and you kind of can see kind of like that neighbors are trying to keep, they're like, well, that belongs in Capitol Hill. Which we hear today. Yeah. I mean, we hear that argument today. Oh, yeah. Well, that belongs in this part of the city, but yeah. not in my part yeah. of the city. Uh-huh. And that and doesn't we change. Just in, had this battle again. And, and that doesn't change until the group living ordinance, so. which was last year. <laughs> well, that was the repeal of what had happened in the last yeah. couple of years. But that's what perplexes me is we're continuing to have that same fight. Yeah, it is. It's really like this kind of battle of like, you know, that's battle of like who can live together in a house, which you th- shouldn't think is like a city concern, unless yeah, it's but, obviously like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just I, like, why is this something Denver should care about? Yeah, I think that exactly. <laughs> oh, this one. Okay, so we are at 13th and Vine. So, again, large Capitol Hill house that had been curved into apartments. Um, so in 1957, 
and an artist named Elver Barker moved into this building. And Elver Barker um, was the founder of the Denver chapter of the Manichean Society. When, like, when you look at a lot of queer history, people writing about it, they're trying to, they're finding like more evidence of queer people like gathering and things like that earlier and earlier. But it's basically acknowledged that the Manichean Society and its many chapters was basically kind of the first like kind of national organization for gay men. Um, it was founded, I think, in the like 1949 or something in California. But the, Man- the Denver chapter of Manichean basically serviced the entire Mountain West. So sent their, sent their newsletter out and things like that. So they didn't last very long. I think they were only active for about three or four years. Um, and actually the National, the National Manichean Society had a, their conference here oh. in Denver at the Albany Hotel in, I think, 1959. I might be wrong on that year. Oh. Um, and it was actually public. Like, the news and the Post both, both carried, carried stories about it. Uh, Elver Barker and other members of the society did media interviews. But unfortunately, you know who else is there? The Denver police. Oh, I was going to say. Buster Snyder, but it might have been a little early for him. Let's just say, like, people, like, police with similar views. And uh, a couple of months after the convention, they raided the homes of, they raided Elver Barker's home. They raided home of the, of other members, including the group's librarian, who had, like, all, all the information. All the information. And he got, he got arrested for indecency. So, and that was basically the, the chapter held on for a little bit, but basically the heart was taken out of it. Yeah. When I was looking through the photocopies of their newsletters, which are at History Colorado, I, I, this is actually where this project started. Because I'm like, I wonder where all of these people are living. And started like looking on Google Maps. And that actually was kind of the start of... Seeing this like, as a picture of a neighborhood mm-hmm. story. So what I like about this is this is still pretty much a Capitol Hill uh, apartment. House. This is very classically Capitol Hill to me. <laughs> yeah. Kind of busted looking. Yeah. Probably affordable than some of the other spots yeah. on this block. So he he lived housing no, a lot of he people. lived on the second floor in the back of the building. So that I know I don't but I don't know which which apartment. Interesting. Anyway. Okay. All right, Cheeseman Park is the last one. So I have to say like the biggest improvement in Capitol Hill since I moved back is closing Cheeseman mostly to cars. To cars. Yeah. Oh, you mean making it a park? So But it plays such a role in the Mm -hmm. queer life I knew in the 90s and early 2000s as you cruised around here to meet people Mm -hmm. in your car. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's weird because like in some ways that's such a big part of Cheeseman life. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also like annoying (laughs) if you're just like trying to go through the park. You're like, please don't hit me with your car. No, I agree. But this, I mean, I'm thinking about, we're walking up on Cheeseman yes. Park now. This this whole street would be bumper Filled. to bumper yes. cars of people sitting in their cars. Uh-huh. And one of the things that you see in a lot of kind of the literature on Cheeseman and cruising is like, you know, whenever there's like police crackdowns on cruising and stuff like that going, those are people coming from other parts of Denver. Yeah. To meet people. Yeah. Because they're not able to do that in their own neighborhood. Yeah. Like, I think, and I yeah. can't remember, it's, there's sometime in the 80s, there was like a survey done of license plates of men arrested for cruising, and most of them were from Aurora. <laughs> Where are they going to go in Aurora? Right. I can't say I've really been to any, like, queer space 
especially in like 1985. Day. Oh, can't imagine. So the other story is Pride, obviously. Sure. Um, Pride begins in Cheeseman Park and goes down Colfax to Civic Center. But this is where the first Denver Pride event took a place. Uh-huh. So 1974, a bunch of queer activists held a gay in at Cheeseman Pavilion. And then they, you know, had a picnic and other stuff as park police kind of hovered nearby. It was kind of celebratory and important, but it was also clearly the city and the police were keeping tabs of what was going on. And that idea of the radical act of just being public. Yes. We are just here. And arguably one of the premier public, public spaces in the city. Anyway, so ever since then, um, there's always Pride events going on in Cheeseman, whether it's gathering for the parade, having concerts, just having like kind of, you know, like picnics and other things. Um, so in some ways, like the Cheeseman part, part of the story is kind of about gathering. It's about community. It's about kind of joy. Because like, you know, if you're here on a Saturday, it's pop. And even if there's tons of bros, it's still like... There's all these people gathered and they're having a good time. And maybe people people are roller skating or tango say, there's dancing. Queer, there's like a queer roller skating contingent I associate yeah, very or much with the park. Last time I walked through here, somebody was getting pictures taken for the for their quinceanera. You know, it's like it's a it's a park. It's a public gathering space that serves all these functions. And it's not like you know all sweaty exercise people like Washington Park. <laughs> You can follow along with B. Aaron Cole's whole Queer Cap Hill walking tour if you pick up the map at History Colorado's new Rainbows and Revolutions exhibit, which is up now. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, where today our producer Lizzie Goldsmith has a summer theater preview for you. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. I don't know what a rainbow means to you, but (laughs) it means gay AF to me. Okay.